Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi everyone, I'm Jerry Bunkowski, and welcome to edition number three of the Racing Beat Podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We continue our string of great guests in this edition with NASCAR legend and Hall of Famer Rusty Wallace. We had a great interview with the man who made the Blue Deuce famous, and I think you'll really enjoy it. We covered a lot of ground, and there were a few surprises, including Rusty is thinking about potentially getting back in a race car soon with the Ray Evernham tony Stewart effort called the Superstar Racing Experience, which will debut in June and run for six consecutive weeks. The first two editions of the Racing Beat podcast featured Ray Evernham and Don the Snake Prudhomme. Coincidentally, Ray and Don are great friends of Rusty Wallace. To hear those podcasts, as well as the Rusty Wallace podcast, check them out on your favorite podcast platform or go to Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. And type in either The Racing Beat or Jerry Bunkowski in the search bar, and you'll find all the podcasts and other interviews we've done so far. So without further ado, let's listen to our great interview with NASCAR Hall of Famer Rusty Wallace. We're very pleased to welcome NASCAR Hall of Famer Rusty Wallace to the latest edition of the Racing Beat podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Rusty, thank you ever so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Man, you look so good right now. I can see here on the camera. You can go out there and probably do 50 or 500 laps right now if you wanted to. Oh, I feel like I could, Jerry. Thanks a lot for having me on your show. And uh, yeah, I tell you, I'm having a great time right now in life. I'm uh, having a lot of fun with my son. I've, uh, I feel like I'm nice and healthy. And I uh, every now and then I might want to get back in the car and, and give it a little run. In fact, uh, the other day I was talking to the NASCAR guys and they offered up a, a shot to get a new 2022 car. Really? Uh, NASCAR is coming out with and go practice it a little bit and I can maybe tell them what I think of it. So, so where is that? I mean, are you going to do that then? Yeah, I'll probably do it around July, maybe the short track somewhere. Uh, but Richard Childress has built those cars, the test vehicles for him. And so I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. But I thought it was pretty cool when I was talking to Steve uh, O'Donnell. Uh, actually, Mark Martin and I were together at the same time, and he offered it up to both of us. So uh, I'm interested in that. That'll, that, 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 that'll be fun. What would it mean for you to, to get back and to get the juices flowing again? I mean, what, 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 I mean how, how excited would you be to do something like that? Well, I think what's going on right now, there's a lot of things I've already done in my life since racing that, that I've kind of moved on from racing. And so I went and I, uh, you know, I did a little racing, like you said, uh, back in Milwaukee and thought about that. And then I actually drove uh, a Ferrari in Daytona for the Ferrari Challenge Series. That was a real big deal down in uh, Daytona. 123 cars showed up. And when it was all said and done, I finished 10th. And so I was pretty excited about that. That was a cool deal. I did run uh, the X Games in a truck for Robbie Gordon. That was kind of cool doing that. But, you know, I tell you right now, the dealerships are doing well. And we have got ourselves involved in a, a motorcycle business. We're building... My son is building high-end custom baggers, mm-hmm. and we'll be going to Daytona for Bike Week. Uh, those there's going to be close to 750,000 people there. It's the 80th anniversary. I've went to 19 uh, Sturgis rallies in a row in a row so far. Mike Helton from NASCAR is the one who got us involved in that. <laughs> right. So 
I'm really jacked up on it. I, I love it. And I'm loving the motorcycle stuff. But every now and then I miss, you know, driving the car, but not as much as I thought I would, you know, and when I talk to other drivers that are not in it, the, they don't, they're not missing everything a, a ton like, you know, a person would think. You know, it's funny you should bring that up because I talked to Mark Martin, you mentioned him a minute ago, I talked to him last week and um, did a piece on him for NASCAR.com and he said the same exact thing. He says, I'm retired. I don't want to race anymore. And I find that, you know, as a, as a reporter, but also as a fan, I can kind of understand you. You guys have been doing it for 30, 40, 50 years or whatever it's been. You need a break, but at the same time, you guys can make that, that break and not, you know, feel bad about not racing anymore. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do know what you're saying. And that's, I think most people would think, man, as soon as Rusty got out of the car, he's just got to be missing it terrible. Well, if I knew I was going to be missing it terrible, I would have never got out of the car. <laughs> right, right. Nobody ever forced me out of the car. I said, hey, I've had enough and that's it. And I got my health still. I'm not tore up or maimed or nothing like that, you know? So, and then, you know, I, my, uh, back in the day, my chief pilot, a guy named Bill Brooks and my father, those guys would go with me to the races a lot and we'd land and I'd go to the track and they, I said, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to Waffle House. What are you doing then? Well, then we're going to go up to a tour of this place. We're going to tour that. And I kept telling him, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that with you guys, right. but I can't. You know, because I've got to go practice. That's my living. That's what I do for a living. I got to go qualify. I got to do this. Got to do that. And man, you live in those doggone motorhomes and in hotels your whole life, and you're like, you had a a, a a lockdown schedule. And I always wanted to do what my dad and my buddy Billy Brooks did, and just hang out a little bit. You know, so I think that's one of the reasons when people think that you, you they just can't believe that you're content with not driving. But I really am. I really am content with not driving. And, and you know, I, I started putting a lot of focus in the car dealerships. I got great partners. We started the one dealership back in 1992. Now we've got eight. Wow. Uh, they're kicking butt. We've got over 450 employees over there at them stores. Uh, and I'm real blessed. I got a great partner and a fellow by the name of Ray Huffaker. He's, Ray and I have been together for a long time. Uh, now I'm uh, working for Motor Racing Network also. Right. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm their, uh, what do you call it? I'm trying to think of my title. I'm their, uh, I'm their, their go-to guy when it comes to figure out uh, their analyst. I'm their yeah, analyst. Right, right, I'm, right. Say. I'm the MRN racing analyst for NASCAR. You know, what's crazy, Jerry. I've been doing that now for going on six or seven years. Wow. And I just re-signed on for two more years with him. So I, I, I went to Daytona and I did the, the, Bush Clash on the road course. Right. I did the twin 150 milers. I did the Daytona 500. And now as we're doing this interview, it's the middle of the week and I'm heading back to Daytona on, on Saturday to do the road course again, that makeup race for the lost California race right. for this year. So, you know, I'm still got a good taste of NASCAR. I kind of get my NASCAR bug by doing the MRN stuff, but I'm having more fun I've ever had in my life messing with these motorcycles. They're just a blast. Uh, you you got to check them all out. They're, the new company is called Southern Country Customs. Southern Country, I like that. It's on like Instagram it. and it's on the website and all that stuff. And my my young son Stephen, he's the master builder. And so we got a partner. The guy's name is Brian Wade. Mm -hmm. He was an actor out in California. He's been in the Big Bang Theory and all these different movies and stuff. And he loved uh, motorcycles as much as I did. So we teamed up and started this company. We're having fun at it. So you're kind of like the guy, uh, Holly from, was it Orange County Choppers? You're kind of like, is, or was it Orange County Choppers? Yeah. Orange County Choppers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're yeah. Kind of like that now, huh? I'm, 
Well, you know what's funny is we, we built a couple of really special bikes for Daytona Bike Week because it is the 80th anniversary, right. and, and almost all the builders from around the world are bringing their very best stuff. So Stephen, my son's building this incredible bike that's got crazy sound. It's got a big 30-inch front wheel on it, but I'm building this this real fast, hot rod, classy-looking bike. And somebody walked in the other day, so you two guys remind me of the orange, the father and son duo at Orange County Choppers. Exactly. They're arguing all the time about who's got the coolest bike. And I'm like, well, not so much, but we did take two different approaches. But there's a lot of stuff going on for Bike Week. Exactly, exactly. Now you mentioned about the car, the uh, car dealerships. You've got eight. Are they there? Aren't they like all around Bristol? Is that where they're located, or are they different locations? They end up in East Tennessee, and the reason that happened is because of all the vict victories I've had in Bristol. Right. That's what got me involved in, in Tennessee. In fact, Ray Huffaker uh, was a big fan of mine, and uh, he got a hold of me and said, "Hey, you ever thought about being a car business?" And I said, "Actually, I have." I'm a car guy. I'd love to get involved in the business. So it started almost 30 years ago. Wow. It's been, been that doggone long. Wow. But, uh, you know, it, it, I will tell you, though, Roger Penske's the one that told me, he said, you know, racing is going to quit one of these days. You better start planning for your future. Now, I will tell you, I, in my personal opinion, putting a lot of attention in the car dealerships and planning for my future down the road, I think it did to maybe the last two years, it affected my driving a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm glad I did. Because if I wouldn't have done that, you know, I wouldn't be looking at this life after racing. It, you you got to give a little bit. You know, when you're driving, you got to give it 100% or else you're going to get your butt beat. Right. But there came a point in time when you got to throttle back a little bit and start thinking other things. And I, and I, uh, I'm glad I did that. Now, I don't want to make you feel old. I'm trying not to do that. But can you, <laughs> can you, can you wrap your head around the idea that you have not raced in cup for 15 years now? It's hard. No, I can't. Cause I mean, when I'm on the radio with motor racing network, I feel like I'm still got the hand, the wheel on my hand when the guys are going into corners and when the cars are not handling, right. I'm constantly saying, do this, do that. I'd change this. I'd do, I'd move this air pressure. I'd move this adjustment. That's what's going through my head. And so I feel like I'm really actively involved in it still. Uh, but it's 15 years. Yeah. Time flies. It's just a, a crazy. Maybe, the, maybe one of the reasons it doesn't feel like it's been so long is I'm still at the track every other week. Right. I'm still there, you know, and with Motor Racing Network. Right, right. Now, one of the reasons why uh, I wanted to get you on the podcast, and it was just a coincidence that I kind of, the timeline happened this way, is two of your good buddies were my first two guests. I had Ray Evernham on the debut show two weeks ago. I had Don Perdome on uh, this, uh, this week, and then you're going to be on this coming week uh, on, the, on the podcast uh, you guys have got a really neat friendship going on, and not just those two guys. You got Jeff Gordon, you got Tony Stewart. You guys go out, I guess, a couple times a year or so, out to the sand dunes out in California to to just play around in the sand. I mean, that's kind of cool. I mean, Snake has talked to me about that a lot. You know, in fact, I, like I said, we just talked to him last week. But I mean, tell me about about that part about you know the the good guy, you know, your good old boys getting together, going out in the sand and just having a blast. Well. It all started from a, a man by the name of Ron Pratt. Right. Yeah, Ron Pratt he owns a big place out in the, the Glamis area. He's got all kind of sand buggies. He's been doing it for a long, long time. And Ron has been one of the uh, the big buyers of cars of Barrett Jackson for a long, long time. Right. And uh, he's just a wonderful person. And he invited me. And then he invited Ray. Then he invited Gordon. Then he invited Rick Kendrick. Then he invited Don Perdome. <laughs> Then he invited uh, uh, Clint Boyer. Then this past year, he invited uh, Kyle Busch. And so we all went out there. And man, I'll tell you what, it's like a big bonding deal. Right, right. Nobody argues. We all get along. 
Nobody's more important to each other. And when we were driving, that's what it was all about. We always wanted to beat each other's brains in. We always didn't like this guy or didn't like that guy for whatever reason. But man, when we go to those dunes and we just have fun, we laugh like hell. And afterwards, we'll drink a bunch of Miller Lite, tell stories and go on and on. And, you know, backing up a little bit to motorcycle stuff, you know, Don Perdome and myself, we've been going to the Sturgis, Sturgis Motorcycle Rally now for as long as I can remember, maybe over 10 years now. Right. And we just have, and my other good buddy, uh, Walker Evans. Right. Uh, so probably my two best friends, you know, have been Walker Evans and Don Perdome. We spent a ton of time together, you know, whether it's at the motorcycle stuff. And now we're starting to hang a little bit, uh, we got a big deal planned up in uh, Crandon, Wisconsin for the big off-road championships. I'm going to be doing uh, 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 charity rides in our motorcycle stuff. Be the first ever Rusty Wallace Walker Evans charity ride in Crandon, Wisconsin, help raise money for children. I'm in Chicago, so I'm not far from there. I know exactly that area very well. I spent a lot of my time, my youth in in the like in the in the uh, northern and the central part of Wisconsin a lot. So I know that area really well. Well, yeah, but so we've been doing that. But you know, back to Clint Glamis. We get on those sand, uh, those buggies, and those things are run over 100 miles an hour. Right. They got 900 horsepower engines in them and big old tires, and we flat get it. I'll tell you, oh, Greg Biffle, there's another one. And right. Greg is probably the best sand buggy driver out of all of us. Mm -hmm. He's fantastic. He really understands the stuff real well. But, I mean, me and Gordon and Tony Stewart, I was there the day that Tony Stewart flew, flew off the hillside, broke his back. Right, right, right. Uh, that was a bad deal out there. We. Tony got hurt. He didn't, you know, sometimes in that sand, it gets, it's like a whiteout condition. All the, you can't tell the difference of the, the bumps out there in the, and Tony didn't see it and run off and he felt, he went down about two or 300 foot and landed flat footed on that doggone buggy and it broke his back. But that's the only bad thing we have had happen. We had a lot of fun times. Now we didn't do it this year because of COVID. Right. Right. And Ron said, let's back off a little bit this year. We'll, we'll get back at it next year. So. Or we, you know, we might do it in the middle of the year, but boy, what a, a wonderful time. And, and, you know, Jeff Gordon and I, we had such a rivalry going for such a long time. Right. And us going to the dunes fixed that problem. Really? I can honestly say Jeff and I are, are really good friends right now. Mm -hmm. And when we talk, we laugh, we tell stories. And uh, it, it's really, really good. And, and we I don't know how we would have been able to fix that competition or rivalry or whatever unless we had ourselves in a situation like this glamorous thing right, right right so we stay out there for like five days and we just tell stories and we get along we like i drink his wine that he makes and, <laughs> and we just have a great time and and i will tell you that that deal has really got a, brought a lot of us together and made us understand each other a lot more i understand snake better than i have now i uh, clint boy ray Abraham, uh gordon uh, tony stewart all of them. I pretty well understand what makes them tick, and uh, and it's it's a fun time. Now, the one thing that I mean, it's, it's kind of the same thing, but it's not. With, with you guys going out in the sand dunes, now obviously Snake has been doing um, the Nora race, the off road race in Mexico for, uh, for was it eighteen and nineteen? He didn't do it last year because of COVID, but he's talking about doing it again. I think it's in April. I think it is, if I remember correctly. Would you be tempted to, to do something like that? I mean, he, he's he's going to be 80 years old in April, and he's you know, he's racing with Jagger Jones, Parne or uh, Parnelli Jones' grandson. Um, would you be tempted to, to maybe, like, run the, the Mexican 1000? Yes, I would. Now, now you're talking about something that is a lot of fun, uh, and the Nora race is a neat deal because it's called the, the Nora 1000. Right. Uh, that particular race, 
what's that happens over over four or five days right you'll run all day long and then you stop at night and you go have dinner you hang out and you talk to everybody and you wake up the next day and they they line you all up the way you finish you take off again right it's not like you're running the baja 1000 where you run as hard as you can for a thousand miles and whoever survives wins right now that's just back competition again <laughs> i want to have fun jerry what i do i want to have fun and right. so if i can have fun with my buddy walker evans and don perdome and do something like that i'm all in and uh you know, actually, it's funny you're talking about that because I get more and more excited about that because I I, I went uh, down there and watched part of that race. I got a home in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. Okay. And we got a home down there. So I've watched the Nora 1000 come in and watched the Baja 1000 come in. It, it gets me jacked up. I like it. Okay. So I can say that you're going to do it next year, right? <laughs> I might do it next year. I just might do that because I can't wait too long. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I mean, Snake, you know, we were talking about it the other day and you know, it's it's amazing that not only is he in such good health and in good shape, but even he jokes around. He says, "Yeah, I'm going to be 80 years old. I'm going to be running a thousand miles in Mexico." And you know, he just he really has gotten a uh, uh, he's really pumped about it. He's really excited about doing it again. You know, because when he did it two years ago with with uh, Jagger Jones, he pretty much said that was going to be the last one. But not anymore. No, he says, I'm going to do maybe two, three more years. But, you know, well, I think, you know, when I talked to Don, he told me that's one of the hardest things he's ever done. I know the first time he did it, he sent me some pictures. And he had the left front wheel knocked off that thing. Right. He was dirt from head to toe. He was war. He's sweating like crazy. Right, right, right. But, uh, once you do it, I would say you do it and you figure out what you did wrong and how to make it better. Then you go back and everything's better and you understand it more and feel more comfortable probably exactly. so i'm sure that's what don's thinking now we were talking about it briefly just for a moment but um you know you retired after the 2005 season and then um you know you you did a race like you were mentioned about in milwaukee uh, back in 2012 it was called the uh, howie leto memorial 150. uh you you we talked about it a little bit off the air but i mean can you kind of reiterate what what convinced you to get back into a race car that day? Yeah, I got a phone call, and my son was doing some short track racing then, too. Mm -hmm. And I got a phone call about being involved in that race, and I said, you know what? And I don't know if it was my wife or my daughter or whoever said, Dad, you ought to do that. You love ASA racing so much, it's unreal. And I said, all right, let's do it. So we built the car, put that baby together, went up there, and it just it was fast. Right off the bat, I was like third quick, and I hadn't been in a car forever. Right, right. I thought, wow, this is cool. So I got in the race. I think I was running seven. Then he had a wreck in front of me, and I couldn't avoid it. And I tore my left front fender up. Okay. Yeah, but so much the car wouldn't handle right any longer. So it kind of ruined my day. And I said, okay, been there, done that. That was it. And then I got an opportunity. ESPN called me, want me to be a next game, driving a Robbie Gordon truck, which, boy, talking about being out of your element now. I was way out of my element there. I got in that thing and had a good run. I was running third, and then I went to pass a guy, and they're real top-heavy, those things right. are. Right. And I rolled it. I oh. rolled the doggone thing and it landed back in his tires. Oh boy. And it was the deal where he had to finish in a top five to make the transfer. And I didn't. So that was one thing. But I will tell you, one of the most fun things I did was driving for Ferrari. Right. I got a phone call from Jim France and the guys in Chip Wild in Daytona. So we're going to bring the Ferrari Mindali to Daytona. Right. It's like the world final Ferrari. All the Europeans and Asians and North Americans all gather one, one place. So they asked me to get involved in it. I and originally got involved just to go have some fun, but then they called back and said, hey, we misunderstood this. They want you to race and they want you to try to win. Right, right. I said, man, then you gotta, I gotta go test. And so they took me to Austin, Texas and I tested in Austin, Texas, loaded all the equipment up and went to Daytona, had two days of practice in Daytona, ran the race, 
I finished third in the first race. Where's my deal at? I have one here. Oh, heck, I'm gonna show you what I got here. So here's my first race, just so you know. I'll be darned. I'll be darned. My third place trophy. Right, right. Okay, I finished that. And uh, I did that. And then what I earthed my stuff. Look at this, Jerry. I haven't worn since I wore there with my Ferrari helmet. I'll be darned. I'll be. All darned. the guys from Ferrari the, in Italy put all this stuff together for me. That is cool. And, yeah, I did all that. That was a big deal. Big, big deal. And I ended up finishing uh, when it was all said and done. They whittled 123 cars down and started the last race, and I finished 10th. Wow. I, I was really happy. I mean, I, those doggone cars, I, I crossed the start finish line 197 miles an hour in that 458 Ferrari. That's just like driving a stock car at 197 miles an hour. Yeah, they're, they're amazing cars. Right. And so I would do that again because it was just so damn exciting to do that. I, I love how nice those people were to me. And I learned a ton and I learned that there's a lot of other really good race car drivers in this country that you've never heard of in your life. <laughs> that are pretty, pretty doggone good shoes, you know? So, uh, so, but out of those three deals, I just said that how 150, the, the Robbie Gordon trucks, the X games and this Ferrari, this Ferrari thing was probably one of the coolest things I've done. You know, one of the things that I've always admired about you and we've known each other for such a long time is you have been, probably the most positive promoter um, as far as a driver of the sport. I mean, everybody's, you know, pretty positive about the sport, but you've always kind of been in a class of your own. I mean, you always, uh, you know, talked about the good things about NASCAR, you know, the future, all that kind of thing. You, you didn't have to do that though. But what, what was it that made you want to be, you know, uh, uh, for, for lack of a better word, an ambassador or a salesman to, to really get people to know what NASCAR is about and get them interested in because I'm just so fortunate and happy to be involved in NASCAR. It's unreal. And so I, you know, I want to be an ambassador for it. I want to speak all the good things about it. In fact, um, right now I mentioned to you that I'm uh, my, one of my main jobs is uh, the lead racing analyst for the motor racing network. Right. Well, I got a business card. My business card says NASCAR ambassador. <laughs> so, uh, the, you know, when I went to work with the international speedway corporation back then, which is no longer, it's all NASCAR now. Really, my official title is NASCAR ambassador and motor racing network lead racing analyst. And I think, and people realize, I hope they realize how much I care about this sport. Mm -hmm. I mean, without it, I'd just be nothing. And so, but I was able to win 55 races and get in the Hall of Fame. And, and I, I got a lot of people to think about it. So I enjoy that type of stuff. I, I don't like talking negative on anything. You know, if they ask me how we can make it better, obviously negative things are going to come up and you're going to try to tune them up and make them better. But, uh, Man, I, I just just love this thing. If I didn't love it so much, I wouldn't want to be with the be involved in radio. Right. I don't I don't do television any longer. I did ten years of that with ESPN, and I liked it. Then when NBC got the job, they had they had their own guys all picked out already, and so I went and did radio, and it, it's perfect. And I used to do thirty races with television, uh, with ESPN, mm -hmm. and and now I'm doing twenty one radio. And with COVID, I did twelve last year. Wow. Wow. Because of the, because of the, um, we had a give and take our roster had to go from like 30 people down to 12. Wow. With MRN. So we only could bring just a handful of people to the track. Right. And now this year it's even went farther yet. So, uh, when I did my deal for this year, they said, Hey, you know, you probably just expect more of the same this year. Cause we still got a, you know, one day Dave Moody will be there and, and, uh, and I won't be. 
the next day I'll be there and Dave Moody will be at home. Mm -hmm. or, uh, we'll, we trade back and forth all the different guys, you know, whether it's the corner workers, pit road people, whatever, because we've got to keep those roster low. But back to the ambassador type stuff, I, I, I love that stuff. I love talking to nice things about NASCARs. Like uh, those guys being great. Right. Let's, let's talk about NASCAR 2021. We've got a lot of young drivers that are coming up through the ranks. You know, they're, they're in their second, third, fourth year of NASCAR. Um, and then you know, we're also seeing a transition where, you know, uh, Gordon got out of it. Stewart got out of it. Uh, sooner or later, we're going to see other guys get out of it here in the next you know, year or two or, or whatever. Uh, can you kind of talk a little bit about the sport as it is today? How, can, is there a way to, you know, kind of compare the driving talents of today's drivers as to co compare to the drivers that you raced against? I can't compare the driver's talents. I can say that the drivers are definitely younger. Mm -hmm. I started in NASCAR when I was like 28 years old. They're starting now when they're 18 years old. Uh, now the, the uh, simulation and all that is so good. They're getting the cars really close at the racetrack. These guys, these young guys are sure are driving hard. I mean, I watched Chase Elliott drive. He drives really hard. Ryan Blaney drives really hard. You know, I see the Austin Dillon. He drives really hard. Uh, but it took a long time for everybody in the sport to get over that. Hey, Rusty and Dale and all these guys are not coming back any longer. It was the heyday. There was no doubt about it. I think it was one of the best times. I mean, when I came on watching Richard Petty and David Pearson and Kale Yarbrough, man, I love that time so much. It's unreal. But to live that what we did where we go to Bristol and there's 158,000 people there every single race. And I won nine of them. Right. Right. That was great. And then go to all these tracks and every one of them sold out. Uh, it was just amazing. So I know we lived, I was fortunate enough to live an amazing era. And now the popularity of sports went down a little bit. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's had this deal where it, the popularity went down and, it, and they're trying to figure out who they're going to pull for, who's the new drivers. And I will tell you going into the Daytona 500 this year, I told them, I said, man, I think this thing is getting ready to rear back again now because there, I'm hearing all this positive talk and I'm hearing all these good things. And I went to Daytona and did an appearance at the North uh, Turn Lounge down there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was with Bobby Allison was there. Richard Chillis was there, myself. And the place was packed solid, uh, completely packed solid. And everybody, everybody was talking all good stuff. And so I think that, you know, I think the fan has finally understood, hey, it's we got a whole new group of drivers. We're going to have to find somebody new to pull for. And by God, this still is a real exciting. I think that's, I think it's finally made it to that point. One of the biggest things of your career was being inducted in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Can you talk about just what the honor was for you to, to be inducted? I mean, you know, obviously uh, your peers, media, they all voted upon that. And you were one of the, you know, the, the early inductees as far as drivers, you know, you were, you went in very early, um, you know, and, that has to be just a, an incredible, not only a memory of being inducted, but to be known for the rest of your life as a NASCAR Hall of Famer. For me, Jerry, that was a highlight of my racing career. Mm -hmm. There's just no doubt about that. That was definitely my highlight. My speech, what I think my speech when I accepted the award was supposed to be six minutes. It went 22 minutes long. I flew everybody in from all over the country to, that I that helped me. I want to thank them. Uh, it was just everything. And it's so every single time we go live on the air of Motor Racing Network and I said, Jeff Striegel, and we got Alex Hayden and NASCAR Hall of Famer, Rusty Wall. It just got a good ring to it. I like it, you know, so uh, it was great. My my whole my family was there. 
my son Greg did a ton of work restoring the car that went into the Hall of Fame. Right. That was on permanent display for a, a year there. And now that car is on permanent display up in my Ford dealership in Dandridge, Tennessee. Okay. That was the black and yellow Miller genuine draft car that I won so many races in in the uh, early 90s. But uh, yeah, the, high, the, the Hall of Fame still is the highlight of my racing career. And uh, it's just, I, I'm so grateful again. And, and I, I liked it that when, you know, I got uh, nominated that I went right into first, the first round. That was a good feel to not have to wait year after year after year to go in like some of these guys are doing now. Right. I was able to go right in right off the bat and that felt pretty cool. Now, another thing kind of tied into that, uh, you know, your, your Hall of Fame career is the fans. You have always been one of the biggest fan favorites out there. And we talked to Mark Martin about this the other day, and, you know, he just, even, you know, the fans just meant so much to him. It still means so much to him. He, he was telling me a story of recently he was uh, um, took his, um, his motorhome to a truck stop to get, you know, fill it up with gas. And a guy, the trucker who was in the next bay over says, Hey Mark, how you doing? I mean, he's just recognized just like that. How about you? I mean, how how appreciative were you of the fan base you had then, and how how much do fans still interact with you today? I I tell you what, when you don't have fans, or you make them mad, it'll make you understand how important they are and how much you miss them, and how how when you get for driver's introduction, you want to be cheered, you want people to say nice things about you because you really feel personally that you're a good guy. You don't want to hear this bad stuff. Right. But I tell you, the fans to me, they're really, really important. They really are. I'm on a, uh, that app called Cameo. Mm -hmm. You probably heard of that, right? right. Mm -hmm. So I'm on Cameo and I did, I've done tons and tons of cameos and I got my phone out the other day and it's just, it's, it's got all these reviews and it's like 90 reviews and there's not one of them bad. Wow. It's all good stuff. And it makes me feel good that people are so kind and so nice, but no, I want to be on the fan side and I want them happy. I want them entertained and I want to educate them too. That's another thing. People, there's a lot of things they don't know. They got a ton of questions and I love giving her their answers and trying to educate them on their sports. So they go, Oh man, I get it. Now I got it. You know, it's easier to watch the race or I, yeah, I, or I didn't know that. Wow. How about that? That type of talk. Right. So Rusty Wallace in a sense is also a teacher too. I like that. I do like it. You know, people go, you can't, it's, it's amazing, Jerry. How many people say, I don't know how to watch a NASCAR race. I said, well, you know what? I don't know how to watch football. My whole life, I've been at a race track when a football game's going on. I don't know all these little rules and all these different things. I, I just don't, you know, and so they, and so I can sympathize them with them when they say, I don't understand what the the free passes or what is so you educate them and you tell the stories of how it how it got there and then they, they they're more involved in the sport that way right That's like you you kind of lead me to my next question um you know nascar especially last year you know that they were able to get an entire season in with the covid challenges uh you know all the things that that they had to deal with one of the biggest things they did though was they really took it to heart and really wanted to make, um, uh, uh, I don't want to say a statement, they wanted to really educate people to bring in new fans, fans that, you know, may not have considered NASCAR 10 years ago. Uh, we're talking about, you know, they, 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 uh, they have the efforts for, you know, social justice, uh, the racial equality, uh, you know, the Bubba Wallace thing that they did, they did last year. I mean, they really, you know, and then we bring in, you know, guys like Michael Jordan and uh, Pitbull and that kind of thing. This is almost, to me, 
2021 is going to be like a renaissance year. It's going to be a lot of more new people coming in. They're going to be exposed for the first time. And that's that's a good thing for this sport. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's a good thing for this sport. It's a, it's 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 all been good. Uh, but you originally started out talking to me about the, a lot of the changes and stuff, too. And I will tell you, you know, one, one thing that I love so much about NASCAR, how they were leaders, was how to get us back racing, number one. Right, right. You know, how to get us back to the track or else and none of that and nothing else would have happened. I mean, they got us back to the track. And, and some of the things they did, I just couldn't believe they pulled off. And, and the one I still can't believe they pulled off is that you can pull a car off the truck, run it through technical inspection, stuff, roll it out on the track and tell the driver to get in and go race. Right, right. No, no practice, no qualifying, no nothing. And they did that time after time last year and hardly ever had a problem. Right. And I'm like, how in the world nowadays can these cars unload with no practice and, and, and handle that good and run that good you could never done that in the past in the past we were leaking oil and they were sideways they weren't handling they were all over the racetrack and you used all of your practice sessions to get the cars all tuned up handling good so you have a competitive race on sunday but now they got to figure it out where there's just a lot of things they don't have to do now is that a good thing is it good to go to the track and not practice at all not qualify at all you just run them up and race what turns into a one day event. I don't know if I like that or not. You know, I think I like going to the racetrack for, uh, for like a getaway or if I'm a fan, right. But Hey, you know, I think there's a lot of things they learned uh, that's going to stick for a long time and it's going to save a lot of money and it's going to be a lot less time at racetracks. We'll have to see how that goes to see if, if, if the fans got an appetite for that. Right. One question I didn't have on my list here, but I wanted to ask you this because we're taping this now on February 18th, and it's been 20 years since we lost Dale. It, it boggles my mind that it has been that long, but I know you and he were not only good friends, but you're also great rivals as well. Can you kind of talk about the friendship you had with him and the fact that it's been 20 years since we lost him? I, I had a great friendship with him. We probably our friendship started a lot with Bill French Jr. He invited me to go to the Bahamas one time for a NASCAR boat trip. Well, Dale Earnhardt was there and it was just me and Dale as far as drivers. Right. There wasn't any other drivers, just me and Dale. And that went on for year after year after year. It was kind of an annual deal where we did every year. And, and Dale and I were always really, really good friends off the track and on the track, we raced our brains out. I beat him a ton. He beat me a ton, you know, right. And it was just that way. Uh, but I'd go over to his house every now and then, uh, his little shop he had, and hang out and talk. But no, we just got along really fantastic. We really did. In fact, I remember, for, I, I remember, never forget when Dale Jr. asked me to be on his podcast. And, and the whole thing he wanted to talk about it was me and his dad's relationship. He didn't understand it. Right. He thought that me and his dad were arch rivals for a long time. Right. I said, man, I don't know where you got that at, but no, you're wrong. And he said, well, that's one of the reasons I want you here. Would you tell me about my dad and tell me about how it really was between you and him? And I said, well, we did a lot of boat trips together. We did this and that together. He, when he started Chase Authentics, the big souvenir deal, I was involved in that. And, uh, and I had to educate him about me and his dad. He thought it was just we're out there beating each other up all the time, you know, and talking smack. And I'm throwing water bottles at Dale Sr.'s head all the time. I said, no, man, it wasn't like that. You know, me and your dad 
we lived uh, a great time in NASCAR. 1993, I won 10 races, you know. 94, I came back, won eight races. And like I said, every year we go to Bristol, and it's 158,000 people, and every racetrack sold solid. And uh, for a long time, they called it the Rusty and Dale show because I was winning, he was winning, I was winning, he was winning. Okay. Oh, we got along really, really good to the day he passed away. I'll never forget going to turn three at Daytona. I'm running third in the Daytona 500, and I finished third in the Daytona 500. And I saw him hit the wall. I'm like, oh, man, he's going to be mad because uh, we were on the way back. After that race, I rented a boat. I stayed at the Marine in Daytona. Mm -hmm. Well, he had a boat at the Marine also. We were, gonna, we were scheduled to meet back there, have a couple beers and just talk and laugh, you right. know. Our wives were back there and here he, he loses his life. And, and, but I didn't know that then. I thought he was just gonna hit the wall and he was gonna be mad as hell and we were gonna, and I'm gonna have to calm him down back in the boat, you know. Right, right, right. And never to believe that he had lost his life in that deal and that, that was the end of, the, end of that. But, uh, you know, I got on Dale's podcast and we talk a lot about stuff like that. I don't know if we talk about all that, I just mentioned to you, but you know, had explained to him that, no, we weren't rivals. We weren't, we didn't hate each other. We really liked each other a ton. We were good friends. Right, right, right. You mentioned about Bill France. He was a very significant part of your life and your racing career. And he and Earnhardt, I'm sorry, you and Earnhardt were probably his two most trusted voices that he would come to for, you know, ideas, advice. You mentioned about the trips to the Bahamas every year. What, would it, what did it mean to you, the, you know, the, 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 Big guy in NASCAR wanted to hear what Rusty Wallace had to say. He wanted to hear what Dale Earnhardt had to say. And you guys were kind of like the two um, the, the two biggest voices that he would listen to. That had to be very humbling. It, it, for me, it was very humbling. And it felt good that he, he trusted me that much. Right. And I think that some of the trips we did where we, we were all one-on-one -on, -one on the boat trips helped a ton. But I'll never forget sitting down at one meeting with him. And I said, man, you're always asking this guy about this, this guy about that. Why don't you start asking me? And he looked at me now and he said, if you'll, if, if you'll tell me the truth, I'm going to look at you and consider you one of my main confidence. And I want you, and, and I want to, and I'll do that. Right. I said, all right. And so I was sitting there with him and next to him was Gary, his boat captain. He looked at Gary, he said, you heard that. He said, he said, you're with him. You're with him a little bit. And I'm with him a little bit too. He said, but, Gary, he's a rusty. Gary's my my right hand man right here, and you told me you won't lie to me no more. Right, exactly. So there's never a day that I'm not around, Gary. You heard what he just said, <laughs> and uh, they said they trust me, and so he would always ask me questions, and it felt really gratifying to have his to have where Bill Bill Junior trust you that much that he would ask you a question. I tell him the truth, whether whether he liked it or not, you know. Right. But he had this same thing with Dale, you know. We, and and I, I feel I really feel really blessed to be in those two conversations to be in the Talk about Dale Senior, talk about Dale Junior, same conversation. When you were growing up in the St. Louis area, you know, you dreamed about being a race car driver in NASCAR. Did you ever, or could you have ever imagined the career that you went on to have? I mean, just, you know, the, the success you went on to have. I mean, here's a kid from St. Louis, you know, uh, like thousands of others who, who dreamed about being a, a, a race car driver. You became one of the best there was. Well, I tell you what, I know where I'm at right now. I always wanted to be there, but I will tell you, back then, you I couldn't see that far. I couldn't see that far down the road. It's all I knew is, man, I wanted to be a NASCAR. You know, that's the top deal. I want to be a NASCAR. And when I finally won that American Speed Association Championship back in the day, and and that was a big enough deal that it put me on a, a car owner's radar. Cliff Stewart back then, who owned the team, and I got into it. 
but boy, did I get my butt kicked in so many times when I got involved in NASCAR. It made me think, man, can I do this? I'll never forget. Neil Bonnet came up to me, the late Neil Bonnet said, Rusty, I know you perfect. He said, don't lose your confidence. These things are hard as hell to drive and you don't understand them like you do your ASA car. Just keep plugging, keep plugging. And I did, and I did, and I did. And finally I got together with the Blue Max team and we started winning right off the bat. And then I, then I got, then I'm one of the club. I won Bristol. Then I went and won Martinsville. And then I said, man, after that second one, I said, I made it, I made it. And then, and then, and then I had a great career. I really did had a great career and finally got together with Roger Penske and we won a ton of races together and got put in the hall of fame. And so, man, I, I still this day, I'll think back when I was in St. Louis, I, I made it. I finally got here. It was great. Exactly. What is on Rusty Wallace's bucket list still to do? What is there anything that you haven't done you know, in or outside of racing that you still want to do? Yeah, my bucket list. You know what I want to do, Jerry? This might sound crazy. I want to get in one of those rocket ships and and and, uh, and take off and go to space. Really? You know, those guys pay to get on those rockets, you know? Right. I mean, there's some guys that spent a ton of money to do that. And I've always wanted to do that. I've been in, intrigued by space all the time. My son and I went down to, uh, you know, the Cape one time and looked at the space shuttle and watched the launch. And I just love watching all the SpaceX stuff and things like that. One of these days, when it's available for me to go to space, I'm going to do that. I really am. <laughs> I've raced. I've done all kinds of things. Now I'm really excited about these motorcycles I'm playing with and all that. But what's on my bucket list? You know, everybody's got a bucket list. But what would it be? Man, nah, travel. I've traveled a ton. Go to Europe. Go some of the coolest golf places. I've done that. What's what's kind of way out there that nobody would dream of? I, I just told you. <laughs> go, go to space one. See what it feels like. If you do that, they're going to have to definitely paint the rocket in, in the you know the blue deuce colors. They'd have to do that. Right. Sure. <laughs> if if NASCAR, I mean, because of your history with NASCAR, not only as a driver but you know an advisor to Bill France Jr. I mean, you're always willing to to you know give your knowledge and impart your knowledge. If NASCAR ever came to you and said, "We want you to be an admin, you know, a, a top level administrator," would you consider that? I don't think I would because right now I couldn't do that and, and give enough time I needed to my the car dealerships and also to my wife and myself. I'd be tied down as a nine to fiver and uh, I don't want to do that. Right. You know, but I absolutely, you know, if it was a limited, if it was an advisory role, uh, yeah, I would do that mm-hmm. as, as advisory. But if, as far as going somewhere from nine to five, I'm over all that. You know, as far as being tied down to a desk job at NASCAR. Hey, those guys that do that, they do it well. Mike Helton, Mike Helton's entire life is NASCAR. He works his butt off. He goes to all the races still. He's at that office every day. He's doing all that stuff, you know. God bless him. Um, But, you know, I I like what I'm doing right now. And I definitely help in any way I possibly can. But going full time, I don't think I'd be interested. Okay. Now, we talked about this before the uh, we started recording, but your two buddies, Ray Evernham and Tony Stewart, they're starting this superstar racing experience, kind of like an IROC series thing. It's going to be this summer, six week, straight weeks on CBS in primetime on Saturday nights. You know, they're bringing back a lot of older drivers, you know, drivers who've retired. Tony's going to be in it. You'd be the perfect guy to be in it. Have they approached you, or would you be interested if they have if they haven't approached you yet? Yeah, Ray, Ray approached me. He said, "Hey, I want you to drive one of these cars." And I said, "Okay, let me know what's going on." And so then he calls me back and said, "Hey, I want you to be an announcer." Ooh. And I said, well, I'm, "Then I said, okay, I'll do that. That'd be cool." You know. Then I didn't hear back from him on that. 
And uh, then, I, then he calls me one day and he says, hey, you know, I'm going to get you in one of his cars, but, you know, I haven't got the official, hey, man, I want you to do this. Will you do this? And uh, but then I got thinking about it. I said, you know what? Maybe you just need to let them do this first and let them work the bugs all out and see how it goes. And if it's if it turns out real good uh, for them uh, and they still want me to drive, give me a call. Exactly. You, you would like you mean you would probably welcome the competition again, wouldn't you? I think it'd be fun. Yeah, I, I, I think what they're building, I know the cars are building. Uh, the cars are building are actually just two miles up the street from where I'm at right now in this office. So. Mm -hmm. They've got a company named uh, Fury Race Cars uh, building all these cars, and they're great builders. And they used to build all my son's cars, and so I know the cars are high quality, and I know that the spin that Ray's going to put on it—he's such a smart guy that it, they're going to be uh, really great cars. But uh, you know, they're they're working real hard. They're working really hard. They're getting all these tracks put together, and getting this put together, and that put together. You know, like I say, let them work the bugs out. If they still want me to do it, give me a call. Final question, Rusty. And you've been so generous with your time. I really appreciate it. Is there anything we have not talked about or I haven't asked you that you feel is important that you may want to impart to the fans, the listeners of this podcast, that, you know, this is something important to Rusty Wallace and I'm basically giving you a free form to say what you wanted to say. Well, I would say you mentioned the fans. I think I just really want the fans to stay patient and understand the transition that's going on in NASCAR from you know, not only from the older drivers not being around, whether it was Rusty or Dale or whatever, but now they're understanding the uh, the new fan and 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 staying patient through COVID, which had actually killed a lot of pe uh, people and it really wiped a lot of businesses and sports out. And NASCAR is working hard to, to to do what they can on their part. I just want them to be patient and love the sport as much as I do. I just really, really care about NASCAR a ton. I really do. And, um, you know, I think you did a great job for our first podcast. I've had fun talking to you. That's pretty cool. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. And we're definitely going to get you on in another podcast here down the road. Maybe maybe after you win, uh, you get in and win in the Superstar Racing Experience, I'm definitely getting you on for sure. Then, you know, so. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds right. good. Well, I love it. Thank you again ever so much for taking the time. Wish you the continue, continued success with the businesses, the MRN radio analyst job, and everything else you're doing. And uh, you've always been one of my favorites, not only as a fan, but also as a reporter, too. I mean, I always knew that if I came to Rusty, he'd give it to me straight. And I, I really appreciate that. So you take it easy, stay safe out there, and we'll be talking to you soon then, okay? All right, Jerry. Thank you very much. Well, that'll put a wrap on edition number three of the Racing Beat podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. We want to thank NASCAR Hall of Famer Rusty Walls for joining us. Check out Rusty on Motor Racing Network broadcast of NASCAR events. And let's be honest, wouldn't you love to see Rusty back in a race car again with a superstar racing experience this June and July? Lastly, keep coming back not only for a new edition of the Racing Beat podcast, which comes out every Tuesday, but also other special interviews that I think you'll enjoy. Also, check out the written version at the Racing Beat substack.com that's the racing beat dot substack s-u-b-s-t-a-c-k dot com i'm jerry bunkowski thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time right here on the racing beat
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.